Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to see you this morning, and uh, there's so many of you who are our guests or returning guests with us, and uh, we want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, we hope and pray that you feel warm and welcome, and if you have needs in your life and your family, burdens on your heart, uh, we would love to walk with you through that. And so uh, maybe even after the service, if we get a chance just to connect with you, we would love to uh, to get to know you on a deeper level. But we are thankful that each and every one of you are here. Those of you who are joining us online, we're thankful for you as well, um, and uh, glad that you are that you are with us. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. <coughs> uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 and 14 this morning. And while you're turning there... Um, I, I enjoy I enjoy all things sports, athletics. Um, one thing that I've never been good at is is running, like just just getting out there and just hitting the road and and, and running. And now, like my brother is a, is a runner. My older brother uh, he just ran twenty miles yesterday just because, and that just sounds awful to me and crazy. Um, and, uh, and so he ran 20. So I got out there yesterday, and I was like, I'm going to run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I got two. So not quite 20, but let's face it, uh, we, can't all, we can't all be runners. Now, listen, I, I, I want to like to run. Like, I want, like, have you ever been there? Like, I want to be like those people that are like, I just ran 40 miles, and I'm like, man, I feel amazing. And that's just never been me. I did one time in 2010, I ran uh, a half marathon, because let's be honest, I'm not awesome enough to run a full marathon, but I did run a half marathon, and I didn't train well for it, and I got hurt, and it wasn't pretty. None of, nothing about it was actually very pretty, but I did it. I, I, I did it. So um, if you've heard me before, you've heard me talk about these things called Spartan races that I really love to do, and they're, they're different. They're different than a road race. So a road race you're running this, you know, usually it's a, a paved road or whatever, and, and there's different kinds, but usually, at least the one that I ran in, you had the, the road was lined with people that were cheering for you. It was super cool. So if you've, ever, if you've never done one, you know, you, 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 however long it is, maybe it's a 5K, whatever, but usually there's people along the way that are like, yeah, you got this, yeah, you keep going. There's like people handing you water bottles along the way. There was one station that handed out beer, which was, I thought was really weird, but they... <laughs> But they're cheering for you, like, yeah, you just keep going, man. Just keep running, keep running. I was like, I will keep running. I'm going to keep going. Spartan races are completely different because you're in the middle of, like, the wilderness, and you are, there's nobody there encouraging you to, to keep going. In fact, it's the opposite. In fact, there's obstacles along the way, right? There's, there's things that are there to, intended to stop you, intended to trip you up, intended to slow you down. That's why they're there. And so then you have to track through the woods and the creeks and the, you know, and the hills and all these things and, and climb through mud pits and all that stuff. You've got you to gotta work your way through all those things over top of the obstacles to get to where the, the finish line is. The reason I say it is because the Christian life is, is not quite like a road race, right, where... Uh, it's you got all these people that are ju just all excited for you and everything's going great It's actually a lot more like a spartan race where you got obstacles at every turn And just when you think you've finally gotten over one Then you got this 20-foot rope that you got to climb and then as soon as you finally get through like it's just one thing after 
another. Well, what we're going to see this morning is uh, a really good demonstration of the opposition, the obstacles that come when you decide you're going to follow Jesus. All right, so we're going to track through Paul this morning in his very first missionary journey. Um, but what we're going to see is that from the very beginning, he's faced with opposition. From, I mean, like they just get started, and the very first thing they're going to see is, is opposition. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and if we listen to the words of Jesus, then it shouldn't shock us that that happens. It shouldn't surprise us. In fact, if you look in the Gospel of John, when John was talking to his disciples, uh, in John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus is kind of getting them warmed up, primed and ready for, for the road that's, that's ahead of them. He said in, in, in chapter 16, he continues that idea. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. That's coming in just a minute. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they're offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And then jump down to verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. Because in this world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to find your peace in me because you're not going to find much of it out there. When you're trying to honor Jesus and follow the Lord and live a godly life and be a godly husband and work hard in the workplace and stand for what's right. And like when you make those stands... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna off, you're gonna you're gonna encounter tribulation and and trials. Well, that's that's what begins to happen here. Pastor Kevin last week uh, was in chapter twelve, and we saw in me. I mean, again, the, the persecution is turning up. Uh, James uh, was uh, has already been murdered at this point, been martyred. Persecution is continuing, and so then we get to chapter three. Um, and the church at Antioch, which we were introduced last time, is now about to, to send out Paul and Barnabas. So let's check out the, the, the first part of chapter uh, 13. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, that's a name that we're going to see a little bit in just a minute, uh, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the, horde of, uh, the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. All right, so, so the church is gathering together and they're worshiping. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're worshiping and they're praying and they're fasting. And during that time, the Holy Spirit tells them, I've got a guy named Saul, and I've got a name Barnabas, and I've got a purpose and a plan for them, and it doesn't mean they're going to stay right here. It means we're going to be sending them out from among you for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel in places that have not heard about Jesus. And so he's, he quite literally, like, like I love how, 
I love how simple this model is, right? It's not complicated. It's like the Holy Spirit says, by the way, these two dudes, they got to go. And so the church says, okay, all right, let's do it. And so they, they gather around them and they fast and they pray and then they send them out. So like we are going to be doing that very soon with the Johnson family. We're going to be fasting and praying as a church as we send out their family to serve the Lord in Indonesia. So we get a, the, the chance to experience this right here. We get to put this into practice. We get to model after the early church and send out a family from our own, um, from our own family here. And so the Lord tells them what to do, and they do it. Imagine that. They listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the church of, of, of Jesus is at its healthiest when it listens to the Spirit of God and does what the Spirit of God says. When we're obedient to the leading, to the calling of the Holy Spirit. And so they, they do. So now we're going to see what is often called Paul's first missionary journey. It's obviously not Paul's first mission efforts. We've seen that him doing other things. But this is the first time when he's sent out on a specific trip to go to unknown places to pioneer the ministry uh, and, and the spread of, of the gospel. So Acts 13 and 14 are, uh, basically tells us Paul's first missionary journey. Now, many of you guys, if you have a Bible, in the, in the very back you'll have a map a lot of times. It looks something like this one. And it'll, tr- it'll show you um, the, the different missionary journeys of, of Paul. And this one, now from a distance, looks pretty scribbly because it has all three of them together. And so, it, like, it'll do a different color. And so if you look at the back of your Bible, you can actually, okay, this is where Paul went on, his, on this journey. This is where Paul went on, the second, on his second journey. Um, if you go to the next one, we are going to focus on his first missionary journey. And so we're going to track that in just a moment. We're going to work our way through because literally what, uh, what Luke does for us in Acts is that he, he gives us a play-by-play. He gives us a moment by moment. Here's what's happening in, um, during, this, you know, during this missionary journey. Here's what happens here. Here's what happens there. And we're going to work our, way, work our way through it. But before we, before we get started, there's a, there's a video that I thought was neat that helps us uh, sort of track the, um, the path in which he goes. So check this out. Um, so what we're going to learn in just a minute is that they start in Antioch. And then they go down uh, to the island of Cyprus. So they enter there in Salamis, and then they, they work their way this is through the entire island at Paphos. They're going to encounter some opposition here. We'll see that in a minute. And they work their way up to Perga and Pamphylia. From there, they work their way up to Antioch and Pisidia. It's a different Antioch. It's Antioch and, Pis- and Pisidia. Uh, and then they're going to go to Iconium. They're going to have problems there. They're going to go down to Lystra. They're going to encounter trouble there. They're going to work their way over to Derby. And then what we're going to see at the very end of this chapter is that they work their way all the way back through it and they retrace their steps, encouraging the believers uh, in their faith and then working their way back up to Antioch and then back down to Perga, to Italia. And then ultimately, they're going to work their way all the way back to where they started in Antioch, which is really cool because then they, in Antioch, they gather all the believers together to give a report of all that they saw God do during his, his missionary journey. And so they are going to end right there in Antioch, and that's where we're going to end um, this morning. So that's a snapshot of, of, of where we're about to go. Now, I'm obviously not going to read every single bit of 13 and, and 14, but here's what we're going to do. So bear with me, because the first part of this is going to be a little bit like, like a, 
a little survey, like we're working our way through it, but then we're going to look at some, some observations and some things that we need to, um, at the end, just really dive deep in our own hearts. Um, and so let's jump into Paul's first missionary journey, beginning in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 4. So look at verse 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So one thing we're going to see is a pattern as we trace through this, that when they go to a new place, most of the time, he starts out in the synagogue of the Jews. And so it's again, you're going to see this again and again. He starts out, gets into a new city. First thing he does is he goes to the synagogue, preaches the gospel to the Jews. A lot of times that's met with opposition. And so then they leave and they go to the ministry to the Gentiles. But it's a pattern that we're going to continue to see over and over again. And so beginning, now pick up in verse 6. And when they had gone throughout the entire island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. All right, so they're, they're sharing the gospel, and at the very first moment, they're met already with opposition. There's somebody who wants to hear the gospel, and so there's this sorcerer, false prophet, uh, magician, whatever. He comes in, he tries to stand in the way to block the spread of the gospel so that this, this Roman uh, guard, this Roman proconsul, doesn't uh, get to hear uh, the word. But here's what's crazy, is that the missionary journey has just gotten started, and they're already facing opposition, right? So you can imagine maybe for you and for me that the discouragement that might begin to set in, right? Okay, Lord, here we are. We've sailed all this way, and now, you know, it's, all we're faced with is, is opposition to your word. But it doesn't, it doesn't turn them away. In fact, the Lord actually uses that opposition as a way to spread and further the gospel, and so what's incredible is that when the enemy tries to, to block the spread of the gospel, just like Kevin talked about last week, the, the devil cannot stop the work of God. He can try, he can oppose, he can fight, he can do all these things, but he cannot stop the move of the gospel. He's in, it's impossible for him to do it. And so he, he's trying to oppose the work of God, but look at verse uh, 13, verse 9. And it says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then, as a result... The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So the very person who was trying to stop the gospel, who was trying to stop the move of God, God used him in the event that happened to him to actually spread the gospel to this, to this man. And so as a result of this man's blindness, um, the proconsul believes. There's a statement here. It says, Saul, who is also called Paul... So from this point forward, as we work through the book, now Saul is going to be referred to as Paul. 
So whenever you see this from here on out, it's going to be Paul ministered to the Gentiles. Uh, sometimes we've heard it said that you know, when, when uh, Saul got saved, um, Paul, he would change his name to Paul like that was his, um, you know, his, his Christian name. That's actually not the case. He was, Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. And so as he's focusing his, his ministry on the Gentiles, he's now going to be referred to and go by the name uh, Paul or the Apostle Paul from this point, uh, this point forward. And so um, Paul is now um, seeing the hand of God, seeing the work of God here. And so they continue to go. Verse 13 uh, says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and went to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. All right, pause there for a second. So John, this is John Mark. Um, something happens here that we don't know what it is. In fact, we're not actually ever told in Scripture, but there's some kind of conflict, there's some kind of discouragement that John abandons the ministry. So you got Paul and Barnabas and John Mark with them, and at this point, John Mark leaves. This is, the only reason this is important is because we, it comes up again. It's referenced again in the next missionary journeys. It's also referenced in the, in the Gospels. Thankfully, whatever it was, and I don't know what it was, it could have been that he got sick. It could have been that he got discouraged. It could have been that the persecution came and he just wasn't ready for it. Uh, there's any number of things that it could have been. But regardless, he, he leaves. Um, he abandons the work there with, uh, and leaves Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and so, um, but thankfully, it's ultimately restored. And so we're going to see later on that the, um, the, the trouble that they had here, the, whatever it is, the relationship that was, that was hurt is mended and brought back together. And the Paul, Apostle Paul later in the later epistles actually commends the church to welcome him. And there's this beautiful restoration that takes place, um, even though they had a disagreement or something happened here. All right, so this is where John Mark leaves. Um, so then they went on from there, from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers in the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said. So this is where Paul's been going to preach his, um, his message. Um, I don't think they understand what they're in for when they say, Hey, Paul, you got a word to say? You got a word to speak? And he's like, Yeah, I do. I got a great word to speak. Um, and so... Um, he gets up there, and um, it's kind of like in, in, in church when somebody says, you know, hey, I got a testimony I want to share, and you're like, okay, and you don't know what you're in for. That's kind of like what's happening here, and, and Apostle Paul gets up, and, and he just preaches. He just begins to preach the word, and, and similar to Stephen's message when we walked through um, earlier in Acts, um, Paul starts with the history of God's deal with his people, and so he begins in this message. We're not going to read the whole thing. You can read it on your own. But, God, but Paul begins to trace the hand of God through the work of, um, of his people. And he talks about how he, how he chose them, um, how he brought them out, how he, how he delivered them, how he rescued them, how he, he gave them a promised land, how he, he promised to send them a Savior. So Paul is he's preaching all of these things. He's saying, are you, you tracking with me? And, and at that point, they'd all say, yeah, I get you. Like, I remember that. I remember when he did that. I remember when he said that. I remember when he prophesied these things. I remember what God did. So he's, he's stirring up their memory. He's stirring up their affections. All right, do you, you know? And then he gets to this point where he says, and now, that Savior that he promised, that, he, that we waited for for so long, 
He's come, and his name is Jesus. And so then he shares with them that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is that promised Messiah, that promised Savior. He has, he has come. However, we killed him, right? That's quite literally what Paul does. Like, he sets him up this big thing, and now he's here. And, by the way, we murdered him. Yeah, God sent, him, God sent us the Messiah, and we killed him. He looks in verse, uh, check out look, verse 23. It says, And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. He says he, is, he has come. Problem is, is that we put him to death. Verse 29, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and who are now his witnesses to the people. And we are bringing you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their, their children, by raising Jesus, who also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to see corruption, he has spoken this way. I will give you the holy uh, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. So he's using the Old Testament to show its fulfillment in Jesus. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God with his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. That's Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he's, he's, he's bringing them along to the step by step, and then we killed him, but that's not the end of the story because God raised him from the dead. God has, has brought him back to life, he is not dead, but he now offers life and hope and forgiveness for everyone who will believe in him. So a couple of, uh, of observations as I, as I think through this. This gospel that Paul is preaching is the same gospel that we preach today. Like it's the, it's the, it's the gospel of Jesus who has come in a perfect, sinless life, who died... Uh, a death, a criminal's death on a cross who died in a substitutionary way where he takes the sins of the world. And so then those who are saved receive the righteousness of Jesus and he receives the sin of man and pays for it in full on the cross. And then he was buried and then he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And so this is the same message. The message has never changed. The same message that God, that, that, Paul was, that God gave Paul to share is the same gospel that we take today. It's the gospel that we boldly preach here. It's the gospel that we take beyond the church walls. The second observation as I, as I look through this is that um, we cannot trust in our obedience to the law to accomplish anything for us. He says, um, this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you by Everyone who believes 
For by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which the law of Moses could not do. In other words, the law in, in Scripture is referred to many things. It's referred to like a schoolmaster or a teacher that, that, that helps point us to the Lord. It's referred to um, as, as a mirror that lets us see our sin and lets us see the, the, the unrighteousness in, inside of us. It's seen as a guardian. There's, there's different words, but it's never known as a justifier because the law can't justify. It can only show us our sin, and it can point us to Jesus. And so that's what he's saying the law does. So he's preaching the gospel, and, and they're kind of amazed by this. Like there's, now, there's always going to be, um, there's always gonna be uh, opposition to the gospel, and there's always going to be those that, that receive the gospel, and there's many that, that do. And so we find out that there's many of them. They, in fact, they invite them to come back. They say, please, come back next week and share again. Well, this time, like, the entire city shows up. As you read through the text, uh, everybody shows up. Well, this really frustrates the Jews. They're upset. They don't like it. They're jealous. They don't like the big crowds that are coming. And so, ultimately, uh, they stir up the people, and the Jews drive them out of the city. All right? So, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But that, the ministry there is effectively shut down, and they push them out. So, then it says that they move on, and they go to Iconium. So, now, verse chapter 14... Look at verse 1. It says, Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Again, that's the pattern of Paul. And spoke in such a way that great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Both the unbelieving Jews, uh, but the unbelieving Jews once again stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When, the, when there was an attempt that was made by the Gentiles and the Jews and their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe, uh, cities of Lycania and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. All right, so now what happens? They're in the next place. And again, the, the, the anger is stirred up. And this time, it's elevated. Now they're about to stone him. So they, they leave Iconium, and they go down. They continue on to, uh, to, to Lystra, Lystra, uh, to continue to, um, to, to share the gospel. So they flee. Um, here's, here's what's incredible. Along the, the way, Paul never changes his message. Right? He never compromises the mission that God has, has given him. Um, he, never, uh, he never compromises in the calling that God has given him. What we see here is that he boldly proclaims the gospel in the midst of opposition. Like again and again. Not only that, he, he doesn't stop. He doesn't back down. He, he, he speaks boldly, but then he calls everyone else to do the same. So he's like saying, hey, listen, like I'm, I'm urging you, continue in the faith. But we see this theme of, of boldness in the face of of opposition, So they go down to Lystra. Now, at Lystra, again, we're not going to read this whole story, but something crazy happens here. They get to this town, okay? And when they get there, uh, there's a man who's crippled, who's lame. He can't walk. And so, um, so this man is healed. Paul um, speaks to him. He is, he is healed, begins walking. And the entire town, like, gets so excited that they think that, he's, that they're gods, and so, like, they, they, again, these are Greeks, and so they, 
um, they had all this ancient mythology. And so they say um, that Barnabas is Zeus. They give him a name. Like, you're Zeus, obviously. You've come down. And you're Hermes. And so they, they like, they're about to throw this big festival for them. Like, all of a sudden, they get to this town. One man is healed, and suddenly they're gods. And Zeus and Hermes have come, and so they want to offer sacrifices to them. And so um, Paul is... Um, he's trying to say, no, 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 no. He says, no, don't, don't do that. Thank you, Mark. Um, he's saying, don't, don't, don't do this. So you look back. It's uh, beginning in verse, uh, let's see. I don't want to read all of it. So look at verse 15. And so Paul says to them, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. Like, there, there's no life in these things. Like, not in Zeus, not in any of these ancient things that, you have, that you're holding to. There's no life there. But you need to turn to the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So in the midst of the, the pagan religions, he's, he's penetrating it with the light of the gospel. He's sharing the light of the gospel in the midst of, of a people that were, that were steered so many different directions so he's preaching the gospel boldly he's turning down praise that doesn't belong to him he's sending it back to the lord but here's where i want us to focus for the next few minutes uh before as we sort of finish up our time here this last part really as i was reading this this past couple weeks um is where the lord really worked in my own heart and sort of where i want us to camp out look at verse 19 so this is after they've been declared gods. They deny it. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Like, pause there for a second. So I, Antioch is 100 miles away, all right? Remember, they were angry. The Jews were angry. They kicked them out, okay? So Antioch's over here. Then they go down to Iconium, and they get even more mad. And so Jews from Antioch and Pisidia... Jews from Iconium, they all group in together to make their way down here to, to Lystra. Um, so they've, they've traveled some hundred miles just to get to Paul for this point. And so they've traveled, um, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Let's pause there for a moment. So Paul, preaching the gospel, is stoned literally to the point of death. In fact, they thought he was dead, meaning he was so broken and, and, and bruised and bleeding and, and, and to the point where unconscious and they figured he's completely dead. They drag his lifeless body out of the city and they leave him there. He's done. Well, that's not quite how it ends. And so you look at verse uh, 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered into the city, back into the city, right? He goes back into the city, and on the next day, they went with, on with Barnabas to, to Derby. So the Jews knew how to stone people. So I, I read some people that said, well, most likely, um, they, they probably missed him. They were trying to stone him, and they just didn't really hit him. They just missed him, and he was okay. I don't think that's what happened. I think he was actually stoned to the point of death, but God miraculously raised him up. Um, and God, God, God um, you know, took care of him, protected him so that he did not die. And, um, and he, was up, he was able to get up, and they moved on to, um, to Derby. They go back to Derby, look at verse 21. 
And it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, and encouraged them to continue in the faith. I'm going to read that again. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, the ones that just stoned him, to Iconium, the ones who hated him, to Antioch, the ones who came a hundred miles to make sure that he was dead. And he returned. He went, he went back to the very people who tried to kill him. Um, I was reading that this week, and I was just, I was just struck by by that, by a man who was so passionate about the gospel, so passionate about following after Jesus, that it didn't matter what people had done to him, um, said about him, it didn't matter. He was he was going to not compromise what God had called him to do. Um, I, I read an article this week um, from the Gospel for Asia, and. Um, this happened sometime, I believe, earlier this year. Um, I just want to read it to you. Just read a little article about some missionaries that were, um, that were attacked. So the article reads, it says, Violence has once again struck a team of missionaries in northern India. A large mob of anti-Christian extremists brutally attacked two missionaries. Thirty people took them to the local temple. They stripped them naked. They burned all of their gospel tracts and Bibles. And then they brutally beat them. After their beating, they took them to the police station and had them arrested. One man sustained severe injuries to his back due to being repeatedly kicked. The other man suffered acute head trauma. And the mob had set fire to everything that the missionaries owned. This article continues. It said, What's amazing, though, is the prayer request that came from these men. They are asking for prayer that they'll get better as soon as possible so they can go back and share the gospel with the same people that had persecuted them. The article says, This response is not surprising. They said, Our missionaries go out with the expectations that they are going to face persecution. So this is nothing new for them. It's just a part of the daily sacrifice of following Jesus. I read that story and I think about my own heart. What, what does my heart do when opposition comes, when, when trouble comes, when affliction comes, when it's met with, with difficulty and, and, and trial? And so, this is what's crazy, though. So, so, that's what the Apostle Paul does. He goes back to the same place. Now, I want you to picture this with me, okay? So, Paul goes back to Lystra, probably still bearing the scars of the beatings. And he looks at those believers in the eyes, and this is his message to them. His message is in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul still bearing the scars, says, hey, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of, of God. In 2 Timothy, 
uh, chapter 3, Paul talks about this. In fact, he, he still says, um, t- talking about this to Timothy, um, in verse 10, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and to Iconium and to Lystra, with perse- which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, look at verse 12. Don't miss it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. He says, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. My my question is this, do you desire to live a godly life? Church, do we desire to live a godly life? If so, this is what we're inviting in our life. Difficulty and trouble, trial and, and persecution. Paul gives them this continual call. It's the word continue. It, this word continue, it means to, to, a, to abide, to press on, to keep going, to keep running. It's, and he says it again, and he says it again. And he says it again, continue. He says in Colossians 1, he continues it, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's saying, keep on going, continue, press on, abide, don't stop, don't stop loving, don't stop sharing, don't stop caring, don't stop giving, don't, don't stop going. He's just saying, don't, like, don't stop in the face of Difficulty. And here's my question. Why do you think the scripture has to tell us so many times to continue? Why do you think Paul had to tell them so many times to press on, to continue, to, to, to don't stop, don't look back? Why does he have to say it so many times? Because the temptation for you and me and for them is when things get tough to walk away. That's, that's the truth. That's the reality. The temptation for us is to stop and is to walk away and say, this isn't worth it. And what Paul is, he's, he's standing there broken with the scars of the bigs. He's saying, yes, listen to me. Look at my eyes. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is worth it. Like it's worth every bit of this, every bit of suffering, every bit of things that I may go through. And we see this later in Paul's life where he says, look at all the stuff that I walked through. Look at the shipwrecks. Look at the difficulty. Look at the sickness. Look at the heartache. It was all worth it for the sake of Jesus. He says it's worth it. And that's what he's saying to us right now. He's looking us in the eyes. The the troubles and the difficulties and the problems that we might face might cause you temptation to say, "I, I don't even know if this is worth it. And they're saying, yes, it is. He is worth it. The gospel of Jesus is worth it. In fact, we've got witnesses in heaven right now. The book of Hebrews tells us that that. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses right now that are saying it's worth it. And they're saying, keep going. They're saying, keep pressing on. One of my favorite passages in Hebrews 12, it says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of 
witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so, so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what is crying to us, the witnesses are saying, keep going. Don't stop. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get beat down. Keep pressing on. So where does that meet you this morning? What does continuing in the faith look for you, look like to you right now? Maybe for the, the tired and discouraged single mom, the message is continue. Keep going. Keep pressing on. The same message to the, to the frustrated husband or, or wife to continue, press on, keep going, don't stop. To the one who's anxious or, or doubting or confused or, or, or lost or hurting or broken, it's continue, press on, don't stop. The one who's sick, maybe it's a continual illness that's, that's not seeming to go away and discouragement is beginning to set in and the message is the same, continue, press on, don't stop. The one who feels continually defeated by sin over and over and over again. The message is the same. Look to Jesus. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. For the one who's disappointed with the way that their life has turned out, the way that things have happened, the message is the same. Look to Jesus. Don't stop. Keep pressing on. This is the message that, that I see in, in Acts 13 and 14. This message, yes, trials are going to come. Life is going to be difficult. Jesus promised us that it would be. But in the midst of that, when those times come, don't don't lose faith, don't lose heart. He says, continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. Continue to walk in the faith. Don't stop. Uh, Worship team, you guys could come on up. We're going to close out um, with a time of invitation. There's two sides to this church that I'd like us to consider this morning. Um, so every single one of us in life, we all need encouragement, right? We, we, need, we need the people in our life to speak the truth, to, to come alongside, to help to be that Barnabas encourager. Like we all need that in our lives. But also, God has placed other people in your life that you can be an encouragement to. So I think what I would like for us to do in the next few minutes as we pray together um, is to just begin to pray and ask, Lord, is there, somebody, um, is there somebody around me? Is there somebody near me that's discouraged, that needs to be lifted up? Is there somebody in my, in my life? Is there somebody in, um, you know, in my family? Is there somebody in the church? Is there somebody that it's at work that, that just needs a word of of, of, of encouragement to keep going, to keep pressing on. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to pray in just a minute. Um, and I want you to ask the Lord to show you somebody. Say, okay, Lord, who is that person? And I want you to write their name down. Put it somewhere, put it in your phone. Um, and then I want to encourage you later to take a, take a note card, take a, uh, a greeting card or something, and write them a note um, of encouragement. A note specifically to them. Encouragement, just like Paul did. Don't, don't give up. Yes, you might be walking through the worst time of your life. Yes, things might be difficult. Yes, things might be hard. But press on. Continue. Don't stop. Jesus is worth it. Would you close your eyes? Bow your head, close your eyes. We're going to pray.
Uh, Lord, I ask right now that by your Holy Spirit, by your word, that you would build up and then you would encourage us in the faith. Lord, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't stop, that we wouldn't look back, that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't give up throwing the towel, but we would press on in the face of opposition, difficulty, persecution. Lord, I pray right now that if there's um, somebody that you have placed on our hearts, and in fact, I pray, Lord, that you would impress someone on our hearts. Just show us who that person is that you would like us to reach out to and encourage them. And Lord, this week, would you just give us the, the boldness to reach out to that person? Would you, would you draw us to, that, to them and draw us alongside of them to love them well? So Holy Spirit, would you do these works in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're having this time right now. We, just, we call, it, call this a time of invitation. It's time to pray, time to respond um, to God's word. So I would encourage you for the next few moments, um, if you'd like to, to stand with us and sing, if you'd like just to sit and pray, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, but I would, again, I'd, I'd push on that question. Who is it that God's leading you this week to reach out to, to write a card to, to, to reach out, send a text message to, encourage them, build them up, um, and let's put to practice what we see in the scriptures.